Welcome to Roman's Road, the podcast of me, Eddie Roman. This is where we talk about evangelism and apologetics and all kinds of Christian stuff. What do you do when you're in the middle of a big crowded room and you want to do a very serious interview? Well, you do the interview anyway and you hope that the noise and your goofball friends walking around don't mess it up too bad. So, and sitting in front of me is a new friend, someone I have heard about. I've actually heard an interview with them before. And I have with me Nathan Fisher. And Nathan has an amazing story of what God brought him out of. And I think this is going to just really speak to a lot of people, especially those that are involved in evangelism. So Nathan is a former Jehovah's Witness. And Nathan, so you weren't just a former Jehovah's Witness. You were you were a, uh, what did you say, a, a third generation? Yes. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your background. Yeah, so my um, grandmother first learned uh, from the Jehovah's Witness their beliefs uh, when she was in her early 20s. Mm-hmm. And then my parents uh, on both sides kind of had a similar story and they grew up in it. And then I was born into it. Okay. And so... One of the things that I like to encourage believers to do is just to get to know people. So often we approach a witnessing situation, evangelism situation, and all we're thinking about is the stuff we learned on the Internet about this is what, for instance, a Jehovah's Witnesses believes. These are the three things you got to talk about. And sadly, when we have that mindset, we're not actually thinking this is a human being in front of me, right? And so what I'd like to do is just have you tell your testimony of what it was like being a Jehovah's Witness, you know, because I know it wasn't all bad. And so tell me a little bit about, about, you know, your your life growing up in the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, so your childhood is pretty typical um, of any child that would go to a Christian church. Um, You um, are taught the Bible, uh, but you're taught a very different God and a very different Jesus. Um, but all the stories in the Bible are the same. And, um, that's pretty much how they, how they teach you when you're a young kid. But from very early age, um, we were having Bible studies in my home through their publications, which is how they do their studies, um, on a weekly basis as a family. Uh, my dad is a, uh, what used to be called a presiding overseer. They've changed the name to Kobe. I don't know what that means, but um, the presiding overseer is, is essentially the lead elder. So this is in, in every kingdom hall, there'd be a presiding overseer? In every kingdom hall, there used to be a presiding overseer. Like I said, they changed the name to Kobe, which I'd have to look up on the internet what that means. It's okay. been a while since I've been there. The same uh, function? The same much. function, yeah. They're the lead elder um, who oversees kind of the other elders. So they are an elder-led type uh, uh, church. Okay. Um, and so as an elder son, obviously, um, my dad and my mom instilled all of the Jehovah's Witness beliefs and values from a very young age, um, a lot more than they would if it was a, a person that was, say, a lay member of the church. Right. Okay. So one of the things I've noticed in seeing Jehovah's Witnesses either out, out on the street or coming up to my front door um, very often they have their children with them. Yes. So that would have been you a long time yeah. ago, right? So yeah. what was that like? Yeah, so going out in field service was not really, they call it field service um, or the field ministry. Uh, but going out as a child was not really a big deal until I hit school age. Okay, and why was that? And then when you hit school age, you start seeing people that you go to school with. <laughs> it's, and, it's easy to go up to someone's door and... and feel awkward but then when you see them again that's where the problem lies yeah right? yeah and and we were those weird strange people that woke people up at early hours <laughs> right. of, of the morning <laughs> wow okay and so but i imagine you probably had a lot of a lot of good times a lot of great family times yeah. and probably have a lot of fun memories do, doing that kind of thing as a kid yeah. my right. parents are wonderful people um and and they're very sincere in their beliefs and uh growing up as a kid i had i had a really good childhood in that sense of uh having having their love um but unfortunately their love has conditions Hmm. and those conditions are that you are a jehovah's witness and that you remain a jehovah's witness so now i I came from a catholic background and and anyone in any kind of 
family with a religious group, they're going to feel some kind of pressure. You know, this is this is what your parents want you to do. And even non-religious people, children are going to grow up and they're going to they're going to be thinking these are the expectations that my parents have on me. So that's normal. But from what I understand, it's a lot different within the Jehovah's Witnesses because not only do you have your you know, standard kind of family pressure, your mom, dad want you to be a certain thing when you grow up. But in addition to that, isn't there some kind of demand or requirement from the church itself that is putting pressure on the parents to be a certain way? And that puts a pressure on the kids to be, tell tell me about that. Yeah. So it's all about a perception that the Jehovah's Witnesses have um, of themselves and what it means to be a, as they would call it, spiritually strong Jehovah's Witness. Okay, and not just a regular Jehovah's Witness, but a, a, a good one. They basically. all want to be the best Jehovah's Witness they can be. Okay, um, and the problem with being the best Jehovah's Witness that you can be is you are on a treadmill of works. Wow! It is all about what you do. It is all about how much you do. So, from what I understand, and you can confirm this or tell me I'm wrong, I've heard that going door to door and and the amount of hours that you do that and, and other other things basically you're required to report that and then your church and, and maybe it would have been your, your dad and his position somebody is basically saying yes you've done enough or no you're slacking behind or you know tell me about that is that true yeah it, it is to some extent so the field service overseer uh, my dad was not one of those, but there was another elder that, that had that position. Okay. The field service overseer is in charge of leading the ministry efforts or the evangelism efforts for Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. Um, and they have a minimum requirement, at least when I was growing up, of 10 hours to be considered an active publisher. 10 hours of, of per what? 10 hours of going door to door or doing some sort of uh, street evangelism, maybe at a cart or or, or something like so that. So is that per week? Per month. Which per month, is, okay. Which is, which is not too bad for the average Jehovah's Witness. But right. you got to understand there's a, a system of, you know, wh- how are you looked at based on just putting in the bare minimum versus uh, putting in the extra time. So maybe going, doing your required 10 hours, that might be like a person who is only going to church. They're just kind of checking in, but they're, they're not making an effort to do anything else. Correct. Okay. Correct. And I used a word that was from back in the 80s and early 90s called publisher. And that's what we used to be called was a publisher. A publisher. And it's funny because the Jehovah's Witnesses are a publishing company. Watchtower Bible and Track Society is huh. a publishing company. Wow. And and, and wow, that's amazing. So they I don't call I, themselves that now. <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine they use it in the term of we are out publishing the gospel. But in reality, aren't they one of the largest producer of literature in the world? They produce more than uh, a lot of, uh, uh, I think I think it was once quoted that they produce more than all of the publishing houses in Christendom is how they word it. Right. Um, which means all of the Christian publications. <laughs> but I mean, even, even non-Christian publications, I mean, every time I go into a laundromat, I'm seeing Awake magazines, yeah. you know, everywhere I go, you see these and, and yeah. they're constantly out. Given, and how is that a monthly monthly thing or well so it used to be twice a month um, now that they've had some financial issues they've cut it down to quarterly um, okay. on the watchtower which is their uh, magazine that they study weekly um, they have different editions too they have a public edition and a study edition so okay so so I understand there's watchtower magazine and there's awake magazine mm-hmm. what would you say watchtower is to educate the Jehovah's Witnesses awake magazine? is to, from their point of view, wake up the unbeliever kind of thing? Uh, Watchtower focuses on their teachings, their doctrines, and uh, the Awake magazine was more, its original intention was more of kind of a bridge to draw people in to read in their material, so it had anything from scientific articles in it, which I must add is really bad science in a lot of instances, and um, other other articles that maybe discuss world events and then put a Jehovah's Witness spin on it. Um, yeah, whenever I would see a magazine like that, it, 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 would, it was always the same artwork. So they got their standard graphic arts, artist department, but it always was something having to do with, are you ready for the end of the world? Yeah. Or um, just, just kind of very 
basic general stuff that anyone is going to be thinking about at some point, you know, what do you happen when someone dies? Mm-hmm. What about the race issue? You know, just kind of the, the, the normal um, standard news events that people are thinking of, but just kind of in a general way that is going to, I think, pique anyone's interest at some yeah. point. Yeah. So you touched on something there um, when you said the end of the world, a lot of articles about the end of the world. Yeah. So uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, for those that don't know, is what is called a doomsday cult. Okay. Um, which basically means their entire system is surrounded around this one event, which is Armageddon. Now, I imagine that they wouldn't call themselves a doomsday cult. No. no. And, and I'm sure they, any Jehovah's Witnesses listening right now wouldn't like that at all. But, um, okay, so you're, you're saying they surround themselves around Armageddon. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so what does that do for the average Jehovah's Witness who's, who's in this group and this is, is, would you say this is like a constant thing that is being taught that they're thinking of the end of the world is, is coming. Um, so what, what does that do for like the psyche of the average person in that group? Well, what it does is it puts a lot of pressure on the individual to perform because at any day Armageddon could come. Yeah. And so whether you're dealing with sin, cause they do, they do know about sin whether you're dealing with sin in your life and wondering if you've confessed your sins, if Armageddon's going to come before that, what's going to happen to you, um, to have you done enough works to be accepted into the new world, uh, which they call the paradise earth, um, and, and are, is God going to choose you at Armageddon to, um, to save you? So, so they, have a, they have a constantly ticking clock. I, I do, uh, I, I'm in movie production and one of the things in script writing is, is you learn you always got to have a ticking clock. You always have to have something going on where something's going to happen. You know, James Bond or whoever, they got to, they got to fix this problem, but they only got so much time mm-hmm. for it to happen. And that, that just ramps up the seriousness and ramps up everyone's call to action. And so what you're saying is the, the, the doomsday aspect of the Jehovah's Witnesses, everyone has this mentality of it's a constantly ticking clock. We got to do something. We got to do it now. And our yeah. salvation is at stake, basically. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that seems like that would be a lot of pressure. You yeah. know, from a biblical aspect, there is some truth in, the, in that all of us need to be working for, for God. But this is your, what you're saying is this, this is kind of at a higher level that continues to be the focus in biblical Christianity, we would say that God is the focus, glorifying him is, is the focus. And in through salvation and through learning the Bible, we have a great relationship with with our Lord. We, we love him, we serve him out of love, but serving any group or deity or, or idea of who, whoever it is in charge, doing that service out of fear is a totally different thing. Would you say that, that when you were in it, partially, Part of the reason you served, there was a fear there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's the pressure to excel and meet certain levels in the Jehovah's Witness organization. So the first level is to become an unbaptized publisher. And okay. that was back from the 80s. There's probably a new term now. Um, but it's, it's, it was. So what's that? That's you get into the Jehovah's Witnesses and immediately you're, you're going door to door. and It means you can start going door to door and actually report your hours to the field service overseer. Wow. You, you, you are able to do that. Now. And then you're able to have a contract basically that, that they're giving you at that point, so which is 10 hours a month at the time that I was growing up. Yeah. So you have the privilege of, of getting on the treadmill of good works is basically what's happening. You do. But of course they're phrasing it differently. You now have the privilege to go announce Jehovah's coming kingdom. Okay. You know, so. Okay, and what would what would the next level be? The next level would be you actually got baptized, and then you would be considered a baptized publisher. Now, when you get baptized, that's when you have committed your life to the service of Jehovah. And um, there used to be quite a few questions that they would ask you that you had to be able to answer. Um, and then you were approved for baptism, and then at the next convention, you could go get baptized. So... The how often is, how often do these conventions happen? When I was growing up, it was about two a year. There was usually a three day convention, and then there was a one to two day convention some other time during the year. And so this is where a whole lot of people are getting baptized at the same time because they fulfilled these requirements. Yes, so yes. I so it'd be from all over what they called the circuit. So you would 
you would see a group of young people or even other people of older age getting baptized. So I would imagine um, from a Jehovah's Witnesses point of view, especially one who's a convert and they've gone through what it, the, the steps to get, I imagine that'd be a very exciting day for them. It's this big thing, a lot of people around. You know? it, it is, unless you have had pressure put on you as a young person. Oh, yeah. So You, you basically got to do it. Yeah. Huh. So if you're the young person, they automatically start to start giving the men at least responsibilities. Um, so you might be able to hold the microphone uh, wow. whenever they're doing question and answer and during their watchtower study on Sunday. Okay. Uh, you may be uh, behind, the, uh, behind the literature counter or, or um, you know, at, at the door greeting people. So they start giving you these, these tasks that you can do. Um, and so I imagine that is going to begin to to build um, a person's I don't know self esteem or it, depending on the person pride and like oh now I now I get to do this I'm not just one of the people sitting over there yeah. I'm up here people are looking at me it so. does but it also when you start to see the other young people in the congregation who have already met those requirements it, it also gives you a, a sense of well I need to be there too I need huh. to be doing that as well. Right. And so there's a lot of outward pressure and then there's a lot of inward pressure because one of the things that um, baptism is used for in the Jehovah's Witness faith is it's a clean slate wipe of your sins because now you have made your official commitment to the organization, to Jehovah. And according to their theology, the day you get baptized, all your sins are wiped away. Yeah. Okay, and so do you remember... Your baptism. I do, I do. I still have pictures of it at home in, in a box somewhere Okay. that my parents sent me. So they sent me a nice collection of uh, stuff to kind of help me remember my uh, childhood. Right. Hoping I will come back. But. Okay. So for you personally, when you were baptized, would you say it was more of an exciting day or was it more of a pressure like, oh, I got I to gotta do this? Where I were you say, I would say maybe it's a combination of both. Um, It was a combination of both because I knew I was pleasing my parents in doing it. Um, And I did have a sense that I was pleasing God in doing it. But um, I did have, you know, issues that uh, I was embarrassed by that were that I I perceived as sinful and I wanted them to go away. Okay, so so in your mind, you're thinking this is the day my sins all go away. I got these things. It's a new start. It's a new start. So I imagine that would be a, a, a great a great thing. I would say that doing it because the Bible says it was not really something that's in my mind as a teenager. It was more of this is kind of what my parents are looking for me to do. This is kind of my way of, you know, kind of reconciling myself with God. If Armageddon comes tomorrow, maybe I'll be good. Um, that type of thought was going through my head at the time. Okay. Okay, so you, you, you get baptized, and then what happens after that? Where do you, where do you go from there? You get baptized. And, I'm, I'm talking you personally. Oh, like, me personally. Yeah, so me you personally. Point yeah, life, so. you got baptized, and then kind of what, what happened from there? So I got baptized, I think I was 15 or 16 years old. Um, and uh, from there, you know, I kind of just was trying to live a teenage life. Um, and there was a lot of young people in the congregations around and in my own congregation that we would hang out. And, um, this goes into what we were talking about earlier. You you start to tend to lead somewhat of a double life. Uh, That's a term that they use quite a bit in, in, in the watchtower, uh, in, in the Jehovah's witness organization. Um, and, and you just, you know, kind of doing things behind your parents back and the other older people and, uh, you know, normal kids stuff. Listening right. to music you shouldn't listen to, going places maybe you shouldn't go to, having a girlfriend, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever the case is. And so I kind of just lived a little bit of a life like that. Um, and then I got a little bit older. And at the time, the Jehovah's Witnesses um, had announced that it was okay to go to a technical school or a vocational school. So you could go get a two-year degree. Now, what do you mean they announced that? So they came out in some articles from the Watchtower Society. So one thing you have to understand about them is they are considering what's called the governing body as the kind of shepherds of the entire organization. They're the ones that seek to understand God's will and then they 
give the doctrine and the rules and the regulations and everything down from the top down. So th- this would be a similar thought to in Catholicism, they have the Pope. Yep. And so yep. this is basically, the, this group is the main authority. Yeah. And in the Mormons, okay. they have a similar structure too of, uh, I forget what they're called, but they have a similar yeah, I structure. Think, I think elders or something. I think but they are. I guess my question prophets, is... Prophets, okay. actually, the okay. prophets. They are a non-profit organization. <laughs> you said that the organization gave permission to go to trade school. Before that yep. announcement, were, people, were Jehovah's Witnesses not allowed to go to yeah, trade so, school? So college is something that's very discouraged. Um, because within the, the organization, yeah, within the organization, because the end of the world could come at any minute, and uh, they they prime you from your youth to become what's called a uh, pioneer, regular pioneer, or a um, special pioneer, or do something in the service, whether it be go to their organization headquarters and serve there, but basically uh, pursuing what they would consider material interests, materialistic interests, such as going and getting a career. Um, you don't need that. Why waste your time yeah. becoming an engineer or a scientist? Yes. The world's going to end any minute. And I remember as a kid, my parents would tell me things like, uh, you know, you're never going to have to get a job in this old system of things is the term that they use. Old for system the meaning the world? The world, yeah. Wow. Um, wow. So by the time you're 18, the new world will be here. Well, I'm 41 now. It's not here. <laughs> Man. Um, but, yeah. Now, just a, just a quick side issue. It, um from what I understand, the Watchtower organization, meaning the main guys, the guys in charge, the, the, the ultimate authority, they have made announcements at several times in their history where they basically said, the end of the world is going to happen on such and such a day or such and such a year. Um, and and are, are there, what, what are the years that that... So 1975 is probably the one that most people would have in their mind. There are other times. I can't remember them right off the top of my head. But 1975, around the late 60s to early 70s, they started uh, giving a prophecy that uh, had to do with the uh, end of a specific time period related to 1914. So 1914 was, uh, they play off of... um, 607 BC, which is uh, a prophecy that they got out of Daniel that, by the way, the date is wrong. Historians have proven it wrong. Um, But basically, 1914 was kind of the time that Jesus returned invisibly to set up his kingdom and reign. According to the Watchtower. According to the Watchtower. So he came back invisibly. Okay. Yeah. And so they started doing some sort of mathematics and counting up to this many years has passed. The end of the world must be here. Let's start preparing. Okay, and so ni- 1975 was the date the authorities, the guys in charge, agreed with. And so, well, I, and so and this, this is where you have to be careful, though. Okay. Um, the, the way that they communicate things is never in an official statement that can be traced back. So they started communicating these things kind of in what I would say a little bit more cryptic code. I have books in my library where they start kind of insinuating that it might happen. Okay. Uh, There was a couple um, assembly talks where uh, Brother was talking about it more directly, but those aren't really widely publicized. So so it's not like there's some document, like in the Catholic Church, they they have their catechism, and you can say on page such and such, paragraph such and such, it says this, this, and this. There's nothing like that for their no. predicted end of the world dates. But there is but there's definitely enough evidence in their materials which they've tried to hide since they've tried to separate from that date not occurring. And they actually have reprints. I have two books in my library where the first edition has something that's very, very explicit in saying that nineteen seventy five must be the date and it probably will be. Wow. And then they did a reprint of that and it's gone. Huh. Um, Time Magazine, I have What a Time coincidence, magazine. it's gone. Yeah, I mean, when, when you publish that many books, right? yes, some of the stuff is out in circulation, but you, you reprint it and you say to the Jehovah's Witness, this is a new book you're going to use, and all the old ones are turned back in. Hmm. Um, so the world might see it, but they don't. Yeah, um, and, and I imagine there's all kinds of this information on the Internet. It is, you know? it is, and some of it's good, and some of it's well-researched, and some of it's not. What what would uh, the 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 average Jehovah's Witness? Because I imagine that's something that comes up. You know, mm-hmm. what what would the imagine that what would the average Jehovah's Witness think if a Christian was to go to them and say, 
your organization that claims to be the voice of God said that the world was going to end in 1975. It didn't. Well, there's two ways. What, what do they? How do they take that? So there's two ways that they would handle it. if it's a newer or younger Jehovah's Witness. They probably won't even know about it. Okay, just, so they'd be they'd be yeah. like, you, you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Those are just lies the apostates created. They call everyone who's against them an apostate. These are so, just the lies so they've created. You, Nathan Fisher, are an official apostate. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, you're not an apostate to me. Just so you know. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. And um, then they may would even try to change the terminology that you just used and say, well, we never said, or our leaders never said that they were speaking as a prophet for God. So technically that's true because, because like I said, there's, there's no, there's nothing that says we hereby declare this, this, and this. It's more just a lot of pointing to it, insinuation, even clear statements of it, but nothing with the official the Watchtower organization officially declares on this day, you know, nothing, nothing like and that. And then so they can separate from it when it didn't happen. Okay. Uh, what they got out of that, though, was a terrible thing that they, that, that the people that bought into that experience, they started selling their homes Ugh. and donating the money to the organization. Because if the world's going to end, why bother? They started uh, planning ahead and saying, we're not going to have children. And then women, obviously, that are at certain ages can't have children if a time window is, is not met. Um, they, they didn't pursue careers, uh, went out full-time in the ministry, um, selling the books. Um, it, it, so, it ruined a lot of people's lives. So, yeah, I mean, just hearing about that, um, even though I've never really looked into that before, I can just imagine the end result would be a whole lot of bitter, disillusioned people who... A lot of people left. Yeah. I, I, and I my dad imagine. stayed through the whole thing. Wow. Yeah, my parents stayed through so the whole thing. So he lived through that whole mm-hmm. thing. And yeah. did you ever ask him about that? Or, or do you ever know what his thinking was through that? Or no. just like, no, he's still there. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he's been in it for 70-something plus years. And he's still going. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. How in the world did you get out of this organization? Well, it took a long time for God to, you know, to work in me and get me out of there. I was an agnostic atheist for 17 years. So, how, okay, so at what point did that happen? At what point did you say, I'm done with this? Jones so around 20 stuff? or 21 years old, I did what a lot of young people do, and I wanted a girlfriend, and I ended up uh, having sex with my girlfriend outside of marriage. Right. And um, basically ended up confessing it to the elders because of the pressure of wondering if Armageddon was going to come tomorrow, if I had unconfessed sin, if I was going to be wow. destroyed. Um, and one of the things with your sin is you don't directly confess your sins to God. You can, but you also have to confess it to the elders and you have to confess it in enough detail that they can actually determine whether you are repentant or not. So they are basically the, the judge and jury over what's going on inside your heart. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So in your case, you go, you don't want to do it, but you're afraid that the end of the world's coming and you're going to, you're going to, you know, be wiped out. And so out of that, you go and do what you're supposed to do, confess um, and tell in detail what you did. Um, so, so what happened? How, what did they tell you to do? Yeah, so there's a couple meetings that you go through. They're called judici- judiciary committees. So you'll have three, maybe four elders sitting down with you. So this isn't like um, what I experience as a Catholic, going to confession, confessing your sins, and then the priest basically says, okay, go out and pray this prayer, and, and you're forgiven. This is an actual judge and jury, you know, like it sounds like a, a, a courtroom. Yeah. Like yeah. a bad version. It, it of really the, is. It's, okay. it's those those gentlemen against you. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and so what happened in your case? And so in my case, um, you know, I kind of went in and I told them about the sin. I told them about pretty much every one of my past sins since my baptism. Anything, anything that could come to mind, because I wanted to make sure I covered it all. How long were you in there? Like twenty hours? Oh, you, you. <laughs> well, it was, it was definitely like a three or four hour session for sure. Wow. Um, which is really nerve wracking. Um, like that. And I would think, I think I was around twenty one at the time. I mean, I remember going to confession in the Catholic Church and just, just telling one of them was horrible. You know, yeah. you walk in there and you're like. You know, you're sweating, and, and it's just it's just a horrible experience. Yeah, and the more you've done, obviously, the less chance you think they're going to tell you that you're repentant and forgive you. So, 
So there's a chance that the you you won't be forgiven if you meet a special if you meet a certain threshold not special if you meet a certain threshold of sin you're automatically going to think to yourself i'm going to get disfellowshipped i'm going to get excommunicated you may get forgiven meaning you can come back but you've done too much for them to keep you in you're going to get kicked out so what you're telling me is that as a jehovah's witness you can sin in a way or sin so much or in in their opinion this judge and jury you can sin in a way that, according to them, there's no hope. You can't be forgiven. Um, you no longer allowed to be. It's a not, Jehovah's it's not Witness. that there's no hope. It's that you're no longer allowed to be a Jehovah's Witness. You've done too much to carry the name of the Jehovah's Witness. So they're going to excommunicate you, and they're going to shun you, and you can come back. But it's up to you at that point whether you want to come back. They're not going to really be your shepherds anymore. They never were to begin with. They're not going to really shepherd you anymore. They might make a, a welfare check on you once or twice, but you're you're tossed out. So you're going to be considered like the lowest kind of Jehovah's Witnesses, low, lower than the new believer we talked about who's out publishing for the first time. Yep. You're like, you know. Yep. Yeah. They literally a- give you over to the devil. <laughs> wow. And so what happened with you? So with me, I uh, went through those um, different uh committee meetings. And um, at the time, I I had zero relationship with Jehovah. And it's hard to have a relationship with a God that doesn't exist anyway. The the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah. yeah. And I had zero relationship with him. um, And I told them that I had zero relationship with him. And uh, their their kind of remark was, you're an elder son. You've been raised in it. You have all of this background. You should know better. You should have known better. You should have had this all worked out a long time ago. During the process, I actually went back and visited the girl again, got myself into some more trouble, had a second meeting with them and confessed that as well. Oh, boy. And that was the one that pushed me over the top. So now they're looking at you and they're saying, you know what, you, you don't, yeah. you're not even trying to repent. Yeah. Which was probably true. But, which, which, but. which was, but, but here's the thing. At the point that I said I had no relationship, that's where you as a pastor or a shepherd should take Take that as an opportunity to try to help the person build one. Yeah, preach the gospel. This person and, sitting in front of me yeah. isn't even saved. Yeah, but and and that's not what happened. Now the the kicker is is the presiding overseer at the time was also my direct report and boss. He had got me the job that I was working at, like your nine to five job, like my nine to five job because okay. I was fresh out of the vocational college school with a two year associate's degree and working in IT. Okay. His boss was a presiding overseer in another congregation. Wow. After I got disfellowshipped, I got fired two weeks later. And what was the reason you got fired? Unable to perform job duties because I had gotten into some deep depression and had missed some work and things like that. But they used that as an opportunity to get me out really quick. Wow. Um, I had roommates. So your life was all fully immersed into... Oh, yeah. Being a oh, Jehovah's yeah. Witness. Entire social structure. And this is the thing. Man. When the Jehovah's Witness comes to your door and they're talking to you and you're asking them to compromise on their beliefs, of course, we know the Holy Spirit is the one that works in people and changes people's hearts. Right. But when you are teaching them the, or preaching the gospel to them or sharing the gospel with them, you are asking them to discard, if they accept what you're saying, their entire social structure, their family, their friends, everyone, maybe even their employment. So it really is more something along the lines of a Muslim leaving Islam mm-hmm. and their whole family just goes away. Yeah, very much, okay. very much. And so uh, I had roommates that were also Jehovah's Witnesses, and of course they didn't want to live with me anymore. And uh, I obviously didn't really want to live with them because I was a little bit upset. And so I lost them as well. They all moved out. I couldn't afford my rent anymore. I ended up... Um, finding a guy that I was hanging out with in a bar that was moving to Florida. And he was just like, I'm moving to Florida. I'm looking for a roommate. And I'm like, cool, let's go. (laughs) And never met the guy hardly at all. (laughs) And just, and just went down to Florida. And of course, when I went down to Florida, my depression got even worse um, because I'd lost my entire family and everything. So, so boy, so this is the shunning that Mm -hmm. people hear about. And you went through that. So what what was that like? So one day you're just living life, and the next day your family, what like what did they do or what did they say? Well, they tell you, first of all, their deep disappointment that you, you know, have left Jehovah. 
you've left God in their opinion. And they, um, and, and then there's just the shame of that. You know, your parents are ashamed of you at this point. Your family is ashamed of you at this point. And then they tell you that they can't talk to you anymore. That if they were to talk with you, that they could be held blood guilty for keeping communication with you, that this was a discipline from Jehovah and that you needed to endure the discipline and that it was in a way, a sense, to restore you back, to be in a Jehovah's Witness, to bring you back. So this isn't just your parents are upset, they raised you a certain way, but this is that plus also in their mind, if they continue communicating with you, they are sinning. Yes. That's what they're being taught. They are sinning and they could cause me to not return to the Jehovah's Witnesses, which would then count them as blood guilty for my for my uh, life being lost. So why would them talking to you cause you to be to not come back to the Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they have magazine articles with this, but it says that basically, um, and they have testimonies actually, where people that have came back, if they're real stories, because sometimes they don't do real stories, um, where they say, if, they, if I just had any point of contact with my family, I may not have returned. Huh. So it's very much a hostage situation from both sides. You're held hostage by the organization when you leave, because your family is no longer accessible to you and your family is held hostage to the organization in the sense that they can't talk with you because they feel like if they do that you may never come back. Wow. So they, man, so I can imagine as much as a mom or a dad might want to reach out with their, to their, their son or daughter and just, you know, be, be there for them in whatever way and, and even work them through this at the same time, as much as the natural pull of a parent's feeling towards their child and what they see as a horrible situation that they want to help with, they're not allowed to. Yeah, they're not allowed to. Yeah. They're not allowed to. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is if they decide to obey what the Watchtower has put out in print about the matter. Okay. And generally someone who has a stronger Jehovah's Witness background obviously is going to um, obey that very religiously to the letter, and my parents do. Wow. So for the last 20 years, I've talked to my parents about once a year, maybe twice a year for five-minute conversations that generally end up in some sort of guilt trip left on me So on why I didn't come back. So from that time, it, they just said, base, or, you know, it, it was over, and you're saying ever since then, you've only talked to them about once a year? Yeah. Yeah. And what are those conversations like? Like, what's the once a year? Yeah, the once a year is just, hey, how are you doing? It's kind of a, are you still alive? Is everybody still in good health? Um, and then a lot of times what will happen is, is they'll kind of try to work some of the Jehovah's Witness doctrine in um, and try to um, basically promote it to you so that you might change your mind or come back. But they do it in a very indirect way. So that once a year is basically them attempting to get you back into the organization. It's attempting to guilt you and get you back, yeah. Wow, and so I imagine that's something that they're being directed to do or encouraged to do by the Watchtower yeah. organization. Yeah. Now, do you, do you, uh, are you married? Do you have kids? Or? I am, I am. Okay. I have a wife, no kids though, not okay. of my own. Uh, she has two that were already grown when we got married. Okay, so I imagine your parents don't know your wife? They met her once when my um, great aunt was sick and at my grandmother's funeral when my grandmother died, which is when I, uh, shortly afterwards I was converted, um, was after my grandmother died. Okay. But so your parents really aren't part of your life no. at all? No. No. And if we had kids, they probably would not know our kids. Because they're, they're just by their the book. Grandkids. They're by the book go, doing what their religion's telling them to yeah. do and they're... Man, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Um, I've had, you know, definitely disagreements over the years with my family. I've done a whole lot of things that they, they didn't like, but never has there been a time when I when it was just over. You know, My dad has shunned his own brother for over 40-something years. And we went to a wedding that they happened to show up at, and I was wanting to try to, you know, meet some of my other family because that side of the family after – my dad's brothers left we didn't have a whole lot to do with 
Um, we go to this wedding where uh, the, my uncle's son, my, my, my cousin, was getting married. And um, my other brother, or my, other, my dad's other brother, was there. I said hello to him. My dad happened to be there. My dad said, who is that? And I said, that's your, your brother. And I named his name. He was like, oh, that's him. I was like, yeah, dad. You, it, it's really shameful that you don't even know what your own brother looks like. I mean, this is the type of damage that is done uh, with the shunning stuff. And it's all based around the doomsday thing and whether or not, you know, uh, Armageddon's coming tomorrow. I just want to cry. Um, that's, why, that's why earlier I used a term that you maybe didn't like, but that's that's essentially what it is. What was, what was the doomsday the, cult? Yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what it is because they're a very high control group. They put a lot of control over their members, a lot of control over their family, and the control goes even much deeper than just the uh, excommunication threat. Um, there's a lot more control aspects involved in that group. So now you're going through life, you're agnostic after this? I'm agnostic. I'd, I, would, I would have to say, basically, I probably had some level of belief in God. Um, as Romans 1 says, we all have uh, a belief in God. We're just suppressing the truth right. and unrighteousness. Um, I would say that, for me, the depression had taken over. Uh, I had a lot of times where I was very suicidal, uh, a lot of issues. I was actually in the hospital for two weeks for for suicidal I mean, stuff. I mean, this is ha- this has to be common within... It's extremely uh, cause common. Because your story, it's very common. I imagine most Jehovah's Witnesses either have someone directly or they know a friend or some, someone in their life is mm-hmm. being shunned. I can't imagine those relationships just being severed yeah. like that. But um, you're depressed, you're, you're even suicidal, you said? Yeah, suicidal. Okay. I fell into uh, drug abuse um, because I wanted to just kind of numb the pain deal with the depression in whatever way I could. Yeah. Uh, just lived a very wretched life, uh, promiscuous, just whatever I could do to either gain some sort of self-gratification uh, self, um, and numb the pain, I would do it. And that was that was my life for 17 years. Now, I was married during that time period and kind of cleaned up a little bit. I had a, I had a wife before my wife now. Um, and uh, but, but it was still just, just a train wreck because of the fact that, um, you know, I was just not equipped or prepared right. to, to handle the things that I came out of. Um, and so it bled into our marriage, and our marriage was just ruined. I can't imagine of, anyone would be prepared or equipped to deal with that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was, it was a tough time. And uh, so around, um, you know, after I got divorced from my first wife, uh, a couple of years later, um, I uh, met my wife now. And... Um, for whatever reason, she saw something good in me. I still don't know what that is, but <laughs> she saw something good in me and started saying, you know, I'm going to clean your life up. And so she, she did just that. She, she started putting down mandates. She started putting structure into my life. You're going to stop smoking cigarettes. You're going to stop drinking. You're going to stop. You're going to stop doing this. You're going to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. And it was tough at first because I'd gotten into a routine and I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. Sure. But she was doing it for my, for my best interest. And, um, as the relationship grew and we got married, um, we, uh, you know, I've, I was able to clean some stuff up. She started kind of taking me to church. Um, she started taking me to her church. And so, um, as I was going, I kind of was just like, okay, well, I'll give this, this God thing a try again, you know? Now in your mind, did you still think the Watchtower organization had the truth? You know, cause I imagine you were taught that from the time you were a Yes kid. and no. Yes and no. Um, I imagine that you know you you had you had seen a lot within the Watchtower, and you'd, you'd also experienced a lot of other forms of Christianity. You know, and, and I had I, never researched really into their stuff okay. very much, so I still kind of held probably a lot of their beliefs. But in a lot of the churches that we have here today, the things like doctrine of the Trinity just don't come out a whole lot, right? Um, yeah. And certain other teachings, so there was a time period where I was listening to things and I was agreeing with a lot of the things that was being said. And then other times I was just not listening at all. Um, cause it was just kind of like, I'll go because she's going. Um, but then it led up to my grandmother, uh, who was 95 years old, fell and broke her hip one day. Mm-hmm. And this was, uh, late, uh, 2016, I want to say around October or so. And, um, 
course, I had not spoken to my grandmother very much in about 20 years or seven. It might have been 17 or 18 years at that time. And um, went to visit her at the hospital. And we knew that, you know, the recovery for a 95-year-old that's got brittle bones that broke her hip and had a massive surgery to repair it is not good. Yeah. Um, it's usually a death sentence for people. Uh, so I got to see a lot of people that I grew up with that were Jehovah's Witnesses, which was a very strange thing for me because, of course, when you're shunned, it's like you're not there in the room. Mm. So they'll have conversations and look right past you with each other. It's like you're the you ever seen these old movies where somebody dies and they're a ghost and they realize that they're dead, yeah. which is obviously bad theology. Sure, but, sure. But but you know they're kind of like communicate with me and you know they wow. can't can't get the people around them to hear and so stuff it's, it's like not that. like hey good to see you remember that time no. when we were kids and no. we did this and this and no and they wow. have these certain lines that they can't cross so for instance my parents were my dad being the lead elder would be like you can you can go talk to him and you can tell him that you're sorry about his grandmother and the condition she's in and they would go do just that they would come by and they would say we're so sorry about your grandmother so they could basically do anything that makes them come off as doing Karen. something good, compassionate, yeah. basically in an attempt to, to make you long for that again, get, get, yep. get you. But no other conversation, no wow. other conversation. Um, and a couple of them wouldn't talk to me at all, which was very sad because I knew these people when I, were grow- when I was growing up, they were like family to me. Yeah. Um, well, my grandmother ends up um, getting closer to death. And I remember my parents had went out of the room and I said this kind of mangled prayer. I didn't really know how to pray or what I was doing. And I said, you know, I know they're wrong for what they're doing. And God, if you exist, would you show her that they're wrong before she dies? Because I knew she was going to die. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what happened there. She was she was out of it. Um, don't know if God ever did that or not. I'm not going to speculate on it. But I realized at that moment that I didn't know who God was. And that I just said a prayer to somebody that I'd never known. And had no idea. So um, that got me sparked to researching into the past, into the Jehovah's Witnesses. So you you want you realize I don't know God. I need to know Him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I went home. I started studying using YouTube, looking up all the videos. Good old YouTube. All the videos I could possibly find on Jehovah's Witnesses. I was watching them. And, of course, you get a lot of people that have left, and they're very angry at the Watchtower, Bible and Tract Society. They're very angry at the Jehovah's Witnesses um, because of what they had experienced or went through. So they, there's, there's a lot of atheists um, out there that have now became atheists afterwards. Sure. Um, yeah. They're promoting uh, you know, a little bit of hatred towards the Jehovah's Witnesses, and uh, they're, you know, they're trying to bring people out of the cult uh, by showing the false prophecies and all of the flip-flops and doctrine and stuff like right. that. But uh, I was watching all of this stuff, and, my, and I was in shock because I'd never seen all of it. And all of a sudden, um, a video came across a series. It was, it was a, actually from cassette tapes of Dr. Walter Martin. Cassette tapes. So what? Yeah, what, it was cassette tapes what year, brought what, over what year to. Was this? I think it was. I think these tapes originally were back in the eighties. I can't. I can't really confirm that. Okay. So um, Walter Martin. But but they had they had ripped them and put them on to videos. Oh yeah. Okay. And then put his picture on the on video, YouTube, and then yeah. you just hear it. You don't. Right. You don't see anything else. Um, and so I was listening to these, and I'm like, wow, this guy's arguing from scripture. I know these scriptures he's using. I used to go out and try to twist. Uh, you know, our local uh, Christians up into pretzels with these scriptures, arguing over the Trinity and arguing over other other scriptures. So, so, so you're right back on the on the someone's front porch again. Go, I'm going thinking that it. way. Yeah. Okay. The problem was is I couldn't uh, couldn't defeat Dr. Walter Martin's uh, presentation of the scriptures. Most people couldn't. Yeah, and so um, as as I listened to his tapes over and over, sometimes some of them 10, 10 15, 20 times. Wow. Uh, I uh, kept looking it up in my Bible, and I had two Bibles. I had a New World Translation, and I had a New Living Translation. Okay. Because I bought the New Living Translation. New World be- Translation, that's the Jehovah's that's Witnesses the Jehovah's Witness version Bible. of the Bible. Okay. I bought the New Living Translation because it sounded similar to the name. <laughs> the <New laughs> that's a good reason. <laughs> I didn't know that it was a, um, a kind of a uh, paraphrase, paraphrase yeah. kind of Bible. Um, but, but it, but it did the trick. And, um, so I, um, 
you know, just kept studying. And during that process, I was, I was getting the gospel. I was, I was learning about my sin. I was learning who God was. And, um, it just hit me that I had been doing this for so many years, this whole routine and, uh, that there was no way that I could stand before a holy God. I knew who God was at that point. Um, and I knew that I had nothing that I could offer him. And, uh, I saw Jesus at that point in the scriptures and what he offers to us, which is salvation, uh, which is a righteousness that's not our own, which is apart from any works that we can give because all of our works are, are, are filthy rags before a holy God. And um, I repented of my sins, turned from it, and put all of my trust into Christ. Um, and then wow. that was kind of how that happened. Um, that was my conversion. And it was not something that I had expected to happen just from researching into the Jehovah's Witnesses. Man, man, thanks so much for for sharing that with me. So, if someone wants to talk to you or you know communicate with you in some way, um, how can they find you? You can look me up on Facebook, uh, Nathan Todd Fisher, uh, Fisher without a C. And um, if you can't friend request me because you don't have mutual friends, then you could message me. Tell me you heard me on the show and wanted to add, and I'll add you. Yeah, and if and you know if for whatever reason Facebook or whatever doesn't work, you can email me at eddieroman.com or just go to the eddieroman.com website and uh, you can get a hold of him through me that way. So, anyway, thanks again, Nathan, for uh, being on the show, and uh, man, look forward to talking to you again hopefully soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a good review on iTunes. This is the best way for others to notice Romans Road and give it a listen. The more Christians listening and learning how to evangelize, the more we glorify the Lord. Ray Comfort here. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please take a moment to do so now. On your phone's podcast app, search for Romans Road, and when you find it, hit subscribe. It's free, and by doing so, you'll get all episodes past present and future. Then when you're finished, head over to livingwaters.com for a huge collection of evangelism videos, articles, tracks, and resources to help you share the gospel with those around you. That's livingwaters.com. Thanks for listening to Romans Road. If you want to learn how to evangelize, check out my book, Search and Rescue, available at eddyroman.com. On my website, you'll also find videos and other things to encourage you to preach the gospel to your friends and family. That's eddieroman.com. See you next time. Yeah.